Welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers, podcast number 54. A big welcome back to anybody who's returning and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. Well, this week's podcast is with Charlie Miller. Charlie is one of the most prolific tapers for the Grateful Dead archives, with 3,000 shows posted to the website archive.org and the source of much happiness within the Deadhead community. Archive.org is also the source of the majority of the music I play, so needless to say, I am very grateful for the tapers who captured the music for everybody to enjoy. Charlie and I met close to 30 years ago in Northern California, and when his name popped up on podcast number 50, somebody reached out and said, do you think Charlie would ever be on the podcast? So I reached out to him, and um, he was so wonderful and said he'd be happy to help with any music that I may need and help in any way he could. And I said I'd love to get him on and hear some stories and um, what his music selection is. When I told Charlie to choose three to five songs, he came back to me with seven songs, which then turned into eight songs, which then became nine. And of course, they were all chosen for their entirety of the song and not an edited down version. So who am I to trim his selection? That being said, this would have been a two and a half hour podcast. So for the very first time, I am mixing it up and Charlie Miller's stories and music will be a two part podcast. It was so much fun to get a chance to talk to Charlie about all of his journeys and why these nine songs were selected and the reasons behind them. So as always, I hope you all enjoy and I will be back next week with uh, Charlie Miller Stories and Songs Part 2. Well, Charlie Miller, welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. Everyone's going to be so thrilled to hear some of your stories because you are the man behind the music that we all get to listen to. Right on. Just having fun. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I mean, when I started this project, I mean, I, I mean, obviously the taping and I knew that there was, you know, quite a bit of archives. But when I started looking into, you know, wanting to look, look up music for people for specific shows, I was just floored. I mean, there's there was over 10,000 shows on archives.org, and of those 10,000 shows, your name is on... Just a little over 3,000. <laughs> um, the majority is Grateful Dead and Steve Kimmock, mostly Grateful Dead, of course, but... Um, so tell us, I mean, what was... Uh, tell us about, like, your, you know, the first interest. Tell a little bit about your, your first time going into tape and, and how you made that decision and, and how it all went down. Well, it's actually a pretty funny story. I was doing the full tour in 83, and I rented a car for the tour and took my friend, who was who would eventually become my girlfriend. We went and did the tour, and my, my mother felt it would be safe if I took her credit card in case of emergency. And she wrote me a little note saying, hey, you know, I authorized my son to use the card. So we were at the second show of the tour in West Virginia, and I was watching Don Pearson from Ultrasound was the Grateful Dead Sound Company. It was before the show. He was sitting in front of us eating a salad before the show, you know. And I just was watching the way the crew interacted, and I said, you know, that's what I want to do. That looks like fun, you know, getting to go see the Grateful Dead, getting paid to go see the Grateful Dead, you know, and yeah. go to the show. So I, I went out, and my first emergency came up where um, I needed to buy a tape deck. <laughs> so I used mom's credit card, bought a deck, Met up with some, met some people, became friends with, with some of the, the crew, the Grateful Dead crew, and uh, was introduced to Dan Healy. And um, 
from there, it was just a matter of networking, you know, meeting people and meeting people and being in the right place at the right time. But when I moved to California, it really, really changed everything. You know, I mean, you, I knew, I met you, but you, you know, you just live in the Bay Area, you just naturally meet people, right? Sure. Seeing shows in the Bay Area, I mean, it was just, it was just so natural. I mean, I, I want to say they probably played, you know, eighty-seven to you know early nineties. I mean, what? How many shows a year? 30, 35? What do you think? In, in the Bay Area? Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the, except for 1981, which is a really bad for the Bay Area for some reason, um, they, they would play a lot of shows. I mean, constantly getting open shows and, you know, Cal Expo and Shoreline and a couple, a couple of Shoreline runs a year. And, oh, it was, just, it was crazy in, in, the, in the 90s. Yeah, usually a couple of dozen. So we pick out some music. So, I mean, obviously this podcast is going to have a lot of music because you are a man whose world is, is wrapped up with the, with the music. And some of the music that you selected, I'm sure you were at or had some, you know, involvement with the taping and uploading. And some of them are before times that you could have possibly been at because you are too young, my friend. So tell me a little bit about the selection from this New Year's Eve 1981 Shakedown Street. I got the audience recordings of these New Year's shows about two or three weeks after the shows, and I fell in love with this New Year's Eve show. It was my favorite one. The Shakedown is the most unique shakedown, and it's got this great interplay between Brent and Jerry, just kind of a call-response thing going back and forth with them, and they had only done that a few times, and they actually did it when I saw them a couple months later in Philadelphia. They did that during Shakedown Street, and it's really, really unique. And just the fact that it's it's just such a great way to start this set and this this night. I was going to say it's a great way to start the show, but I just remembered they actually played the acoustic set. But it's one of those things that if you and the mix on this tape is absolutely perfect. This is Dan Healy's mix, Joni Walker's recording. And uh, she was a friend of Dan Healy. She recorded it, and her friend Paul Scotton, who's also a friend of mine, Cast the tape on to me, and um, there were a lot of issues, but I, I got I fixed it up, and I noticed one note for note, and it's one of those things that if you listen to it and really pay attention, you're gonna know why I picked it. Right <laughs> on. One of those things. Well, it's a long one, but I'm gonna play the whole song. There's something tells me that this podcast today, we are going to play the whole song, because I I know I'm sure you pick these songs for their entirety, not just for the opening part of them. Let's go in and play it, and listeners that are checking in here today on podcast number 54, there's going to be a lot of awesome music. Let's throw back to 1981, see what's a shaking on Shakedown Street, and uh, then we'll be back. Right on. Thank you. 
sky In the dark of the moon Beside Maybe the dark is from your eyes Maybe the dark is from your eyes Maybe the dark is from your eyes Shake an old shake down street Used to be the heart of town Jumping this town ain't got no heart Just gotta poke around
shaking on Shakedown Street. Used to be the heart of town. Don't tell me this town ain't got no heart. You just gotta poke around. Don't tell me this town ain't got no heart. You just gotta poke around. Tell me this town ain't got no heart. You just gotta poke around. So back from 1981, yeah, I'm really excited to be able to really dig deep into this, into this recording. And I love what you were saying earlier before about, you know, like Jerry and Brent doing the, the, the trade-off because, I mean, that really was early days for them. I mean, Brent joined in 79 and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people about the shows in, you know, the late 80s, very last 89, 90, there was so much interplay between Brent and Jerry. Like, yeah, that was like the magic that was going on stage. It's cool that it, you know, we get little glimpses of it, you know, eight, nine years earlier, and then all of those years later for the relationship to really take flight. Yeah, I started seeing The Grateful Dead in 1979. I just think Brent had such a unique sound because I, I liked Keith, but he was often really buried in the mix and not that prominent. He didn't play that big, as big of a role as Brent played. Brent really, really, his, you know, his his sounds were so unique. I really liked it. He's also the first band member I met. <laughs> I kind of like him for that. He just was so good, so soulful, so much emotion. You know, I mean, he really brought it. You know, he just brought brought everything to the table. In in 1987 on spring tour, it was the first tour. You know, after the coma, and they're on the East Coast, and uh, well, not the first shows, but the first tour. So they're on the East Coast. And they were in Hampton, and they're playing the first uh, Dear Mr. Fantasy since Jerry came out of his coma, and or at least live, I should say. So I just remember you look at Brent, and he was looking right at Jerry, smiling as he's saying that you know Dear Mr. Fantasy plays the tune. It was really, it's just, it's really, it's, it was one of those moments, you know, it's one of those moments. That was a really wonderful time. I mean, we talked the other day, eighty-seven uh, is is a digit in your email as a as an homage that's right uh charlie miller 87 that is a tribute to 32687 yeah just yeah if you were there you get it <laughs> you know it's yeah well let's go back to 1984 so the next song that we're going to play for you guys uh you selected is feel like a stranger from june 26th 1984 so tell everyone a little bit about this pick this song it's got this really unique jam and this really incredible pace and energy and it's raw fire, just East Coast, you know, balls to the walls, just this crazy summer tour. Here it comes. It, it didn't even open the show, but actually followed a, a Casey Jones. That was the first Casey Jones in a couple of years, which is kind of a nice bust out. But th this stranger is really crazy. And this the way they end it is a very unique ending. They just don't go into the section that they normally went back. They just kind of just, fall into this ending and it's it's just perfect it's so perfect it, it's just the fact that it's improvised 
when you think about that, this is improvised. It just makes it that much more amazing. And and where were they on uh, June 26, 1984? Oh, this was this was Meriwether Post Pavilion. Okay. June 26, 1984. I got to the show a little late. The interesting thing about this show is the post drums portion of the show is longer than the first set. Wow. They, they played yeah they played uh, quite a few songs and it, it was it was about an hour. Yeah, it was about an hour after drums. Wow. And, uh, which was pretty cool. You know, yeah, it was, it was, the second set was huge. It was definitely huge. I, uh, I wish we could go back to the days where they had the three sets, you know, like when I see those ones out there, it's, yep. those, did you catch any three set shows? I mean, were they, were they doing that back when you started? Kind of a three set, but that was kind of an equipment failure. We're going to leave in the middle of a set for a while and come back. So it's still kind of the same <laughs> set. No, 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 I never, I never caught the acoustics. Like I shut out of that, slept out for tickets and Ticketron machine broke and I didn't get any tickets. And that was a mess. I ended up seeing the, the Halloween uh, simulcast at the Calderon Theater on Long Island. But no, I never caught the, the acoustics and never, I don't think I ever got a third set. Um, I was hoping to catch one at the New Year's Eve that you and I went to in 1990 with Brantford. That night, we already got a third set, but, I mean, I got my first dark star that night, but um, we didn't get a third set that night. <laughs> you know, we barely got a double encore. No, I never have. I, I can't think of any three sets that I've uh, ever been able to see, but I'm always at odd when I look at, at, you know, the older recordings of them and think, like, oh, my God, you know, just to, to well, go on the, and on and on. The, the Shakedown Street that we played before, that show is four sets. It starts off with an acoustic set <laughs> where they, they're Joan Baez does 20 minutes or so and the Grateful Dead are, are her backing band. And then she leaves and then they do their acoustic set. And then they did three electric sets. And the third electric set was Brent's first dark star. And they hadn't played it in about three years and they busted it out. And that was a four set to Grateful Dead. Wow. And the new riders open too. <laughs> yeah, the new riders open too. How cool is that? Wow. So what time do you think that show yeah. went to? Like 4 a.m.? I mean, it oh, must have been insane. Well, I, I don't know, but think, think, about the, think about the closing Winterland, because first they showed the Blues Brothers movie. Then I think it was the New Riders played. Then it was the Blues Brothers played. Then at midnight, the Grateful Dead played their first set. At like, what, two, they played their second set. And like, 4.30 or 5, whatever they played the third set. That's, that's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you definitely needed, uh, you definitely needed some substance to, to go on with that, right? I mean, not... <laughs> well, if you look at Bobby on the DVD of Closing Winterland during the other one, he looks so high, he looks like he's gonna, like, swallow his face. He's <laughs> been there before, I know, you know, we know what it's like, and, you know, it is what it is, it's New Year's Eve, you know, but... Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's go in and play the Feel Like a Stranger, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll we'll go on down the line to the next song. So we are going to throw it back to June twenty sixth, nineteen eighty four, at Meriwether Post Pavilion. Feels like a stranger. So everybody enjoy, and then we'll be back. Right on. Cool. Thank you. 
1984, and I, I started to tell you the song we're going to talk about next, and you started busting into the story. <laughs> so there's a good story with this one. I want to hear it. Tell us. So this is Morgantown, West Virginia. Uh, the Grateful Dead played two college shows on this tour, and one was in Arno, Maine. Actually, it was three. There was Morgantown. They also played UVM, Burlington, Vermont. Oh, it was a great tour. But this show is the show where met Don Pearson when he was eating his salad that made me think, I'm going to go work for the band someday. And this was the show that I was talking about. And um, it's funny because it was about 90% hardcore deadheads traveled from out of state, and the other 10% was these West Virginia college students or locals. I mean, they, they kept asking me to sit down, sit down, sit down, and I'm not going to sit down. I was just dancing, you know, and uh, we can't see. or You know, it was just one of those crazy, crazy scenes. It's like, you know, they obviously were out of their element. But this was a really interesting show. They actually opened up the show with Samson and Delilah, uh, which I only had seen them do that a couple of times. It's pretty rare. I don't think they've done that too often. But this Althea, when the song started, I was kind of bummed because 
from 79 to like 83, we were, or 82, we were getting bombarded with Althea a lot. And I was kind of, you know, I had seen it dozens of times already, so I was a little bit over it. Halfway through the song, I realized, wow, this sounds different. This has got something to it. This has got a little snap to it. And when Jerry started his, his solo at the end and just the energy of the place just, just erupted, the place erupted. It was really an intense moment. It brought me to my feet, literally brought me to my feet. I will never forget that feeling when the music just, just I didn't have to think about it. Next thing I knew I was up dancing. It was a pretty cool moment. I think that a lot of people know about this show, and I don't think they realize how cool it is. The second set is extremely well played. It was definitely, definitely a magical moment. But um, this first set doesn't get discussed much. Here's your Althea. Here's your Althea. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. Althea is just one of those songs that, uh, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely always one of my favorites. I mean, I, I tend to like the more, I like the ones that really make you want to dance. You know, if I had to, if you put a gun to my head between something that's upbeat or ballad, I tend to go with the upbeats over the ballad. And then there's just those few exceptions. And Althea is always one of them. You know, it's like, um, I don't know, like, you know, I mean, picking your favorite dead song, it's like when people ask you your favorite food or, you know, I mean, it's like one of those just impossible answers because it's so mood oriented and feelings and situations. Yeah. All of the ballads, I, I feel like Althea is one that um, I'm always up for, you know, like, like a bowl of cereal. You oh, know? yes. There's always I, room oh, for yeah, it. <laughs> I, I love it. After, after this Althea, it became one of those songs that I wanted to see every night because it became really rare. And the other thing is, is this was the only Althea of the tour. That really surprised me. So I went from, oh, no, they're going to play this song every night. They only played once, one Althea for the whole tour, which really made me appreciate it that much more. Absolutely. You know, another, another really good Althea is the Feel Like a Stranger we heard before. There's an Althea that comes after that. That's equally as good as I feel like a stranger, but I, I felt that that this Althea just had a little extra to it. Well, I am dying to go in and play it, so let's go back to the show that you know really kind of changed the course of your life. Test nineteen eighty three. So this is a this is a meaningful day. Let's shoot it back to April tenth, nineteen eighty three, in West Virginia to Althea, and and then we'll be back. I was feeling long, lacking in some direction. Althea told me upon scrutiny that my back might need protection. I told Althea that treachery was tearing me. From Lynn, Althea told me, never cool down, boy. Send a bag, easy, Jim.
talk to you without talking to me. We're guilty of the same old thing. Thinking a lot about less and less and forgetting the love we bring. So we are now returning from listening to Althea, and uh, and while the music was going on, we were just talking about uh, you were listening to twelve thirty one eighty one when you were on your way to eighty three. So just with all of the shows and all of the songs, there is the magic of the dead. It all ties together, and the it, and the other thing is that Althea is a really good example of what Brent brought to the Grateful Dead, that style, that sound, that feel, yeah. you know? I was just listening to um, to Go to Heaven the other day because I was wanting to play, say, In a Circumstance. Uh, my husband wasn't really familiar with that song, and I wanted to play Say In a Circumstance, so I went back to the Go to the Heaven album. I mean, you just cannot look at that album without cracking up. I mean, just, just the cover art on that is just the funniest thing ever, right? It's absurd. It's really absurd. The, um, the Grateful Dead played this porno theater in Passaic, New Jersey, a little armpit is <laughs> what in New Jersey uh, called the Capitol Theater. In the 1980, they had a lottery. You had to send in and tickets for like $15. It was insane. Oh my gosh, how can tickets be that expensive? And, and my friend, my best friend won. So he and I went, we saw the middle night. So I got to see the Grateful Dead in this little movie theater in New Jersey. And um, that night they played the first Feel Like a Stranger. And I had taken a couple of blue, uh, purple microdots, and I was pretty out there. And I mean, I was like right in front of the stage. So it was really bizarre seeing them in such a small place. And I, I just remember watching them, and I was like, this sounds like the freaking Bee Gees. I mean, listen to Jeremy, listen to his voice. It was so, it was so bad. <laughs> I felt it was really bad at the time, but it was pretty bad. And uh, they came back like a month later and, uh, and played Nassau Coliseum. That was amazing. They played 
feel like a stranger to open the second set and they jammed it and they jammed it and they went right into, they never ended it. It just jammed and fell into sugary and it made me see the song in a whole new light. I'm like, wow, this song really changed really quick, you know, but that was just interesting. Having them see, having them, having seen them play the song for the first, when you, when you see the band play the song for the first time, you always have a personal connection to it. That's the way it always felt for me, you know, and um, that's just one of those songs. Well, I have never seen the band play a song for the first time, I don't think. I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, you know, kind of jumping on the bus in 88, I don't think so. I, I mean, maybe, maybe some of the later works, but, but nothing them, I feel connected to. I saw them play a song before they ever played it live. I was at the sound checks in, uh, I, in 1993, I saw 44 shows. It was a really good year for me. I was getting backstage passes from my friend, Robbie Greenberg, who is, Candace Brightman's assistant at the lighting board. So I was in the sound checks and the middle night they played, and uh, I'm sorry, the first night they were sound checking Lazy River Road, mm-hmm. which they, and they sound checked the second night, they sound checked Lazy River Road, but they sound checked Days Between. Okay. And they had never performed the song live, but they would perform it that night for the first time. So seeing them sound check Days Between, I, at first I thought, I, you know, we didn't know that it was a new song. You know, I just I thought it sounded like Mountains of the Moon at first in the sound check, and then they started doing Days Between, and it was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I tried to record it, and security came over and said, no, nah, they wouldn't let me record it. That was the only time where I knew this, the, the song before they played it, and it was like an original song, you know, not a cover, but I knew the song before they played it, and it was kind of cool. Well, the thing that's so kind of neat and magical about the song The Days Between is how... That was a song that, that came out, you know, with the Grateful Dead and Jerry was playing. And then it became such the perfect term between, you know, Jerry's birthday and the day he died. So it was. A, it was yeah, very... yeah. It, it definitely gained meaning, meaning that we really didn't want. <laughs> right. I mean, we had no idea that that was going to be the meaning. No, and um, yeah. no. And I mean, I had no idea about the days between, you know, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast many times. I mean, once a deadhead, I'd like to think always a deadhead and it always lived in my heart. But I wasn't, after Jerry died, I mean, I wasn't really on the scene for a very long time. And I didn't know the term days between. And the first time, uh, so it was not last summer, but the summer before, summer of 2016, that, you know, I started hearing about the days between. And it, it reminded me almost you know, like of the Jewish high holidays, like the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, right? <laughs> like I didn't, it's like yeah. the, the deadhead Jewish holidays, you know, where you have your time of reflection, your time of renewal and your time of, you know, transgression. And it was fascinating to me, you know, that there's, yeah, again, that there's a, there's, and I figured that the song, and again, this is me not knowing very much at all. I'm happy to admit this because I learn every time I talk to somebody new, you know, I didn't know that song. So then I thought the song was written in reverence to the days between. So then to kind of go fully back to learning it was before, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's all, it's all a bunch of magic. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. Really? You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate to get to talk to people who know so much more than I do. And I mean, I learn something new every day. You know, I think uh, that's, uh, it's, that's always a gift. To, to get to learn everything everything has meaning that's the cool thing about being a deadhead we find the meaning in everything <laughs> absolutely no i mean i find a meaning in everything it makes my kids crazy i mean i uh 
Well, God, one story that was really kind of cute, kind of a little while ago, my daughter and I we were trying to make some little like, little box stitch with little plastic ropes, gimp, if anybody has kids and they've had the gimp, and it was this box stretch, and we were working on the box stretch, and we couldn't figure out the box stretch, and, and I have the uh, 100 Dead Songs poster in our room, and she looked at the poster and said something about terrapin, and, oh, what's that? And I said, oh, you know terrapin. And uh, I said, well, let's let's put it on. Let's play terrapin put the music on we stopped watching the youtube video that was teaching us to make this box stitch because neither one of us could follow this fucking teenager teaching us to make the box stitch we turned off the video and we put on terrapin i said well let's i don't know like 30 seconds into the song you get the box stitch like i'm like i got it i got it i I got it like just hearing it i'm like that's the magic of the dead it happens and i mean i don't know it's just i think it's just our own belief and, and and then it all comes together it's kind of a silly story but you know yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Well, let's get I on get to the last song for this set. So the last song that we are going to talk about is going to be Good Loving. And this is from September 18th, 1970. So tell us a little bit about this pick. It's a really cool Good Loving. And it used to be stuck in the middle of 92070. And one day somebody found out or figured out, hey, this is not from this show. This is really from two days earlier. And there's a really good recording. And the interesting part about it is, recording at least, is that Bear was in jail or on probation, couldn't leave the state, various things at various times. But um, either way, he wasn't at the show. And the reason the show got recorded is the crew from the Fillmore East was recording the band's the Grateful Dead, all the shows there, they just had a reel-to-reel under the stage and they were getting a feed. And So we've got all these great recordings that normally wouldn't exist. This Good Lovin' is it's just really interesting. It's got this cool breakdown thing at the end and uh, it's just a really cool jam. And I really dig Jerry's solo. I can almost see him doing it. I can, with his, just standing there with his T-shirt, see it in my head and... Uh, the guitar tone is really cool. The recording is fabulous, and the mix is great. I, I like the sound of the snare drums. And it's just a really, really cool recording of a really good song. Well, right on. Well, let's uh, let's go in and throw back to uh, the September eighteenth, nineteen seventy, and we're at the Fillmore. We're in New York, Fillmore East. Oh, we're in New York, Fillmore East. Okay, let's go back to Fillmore East, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do. One more story, and then we're going to mix it up a little bit today on Stranger Shopping Strangers. So enjoy, and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll tell you what we're up to. Right on.
been listening to Good Lovin'. As I said before we went out, you know, Charlie has, I mean, obviously the, the best music picks and I want to play all the songs and I don't want a two and a half hour podcast because I know I wouldn't listen to a two and a half hour podcast. So this is the first time that we are going to do this uh, like a show in two sets. We're going to talk about one more story and then we're going to sign you off into drums and then come back with a part two episode with space story that I really been dying to talk about and uh, where the drums and space is going to come to is New Year's Eve from December 31st, obviously 1990 into 1991. And we had met, oh, I mean, probably about a year before through Kat, but um, I mean, that was, that was just such a night, right? I mean, that was so spectacular. Yeah. Um, I was, I, it was my first New Year's Eve and I got, uh, it was my first, I actually did the whole run and I was taping back then, but I didn't tape this show because it was New Year's Eve and I really just wanted to have fun. So I gave my friend my, my deck and asked him to run it. And uh, I took a bunch of acid and <laughs> they had oversold tickets because of it being New Year's Eve and it, you just had nowhere to go in there. It was so packed. So in the first set, I was in the hallway and my friend came up to me after the show and told me he had seen me. I was hugging the speakers in the hallway during Road Jimmy with a big smile on my face. I'm like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> That's one thing I remember. Um, I got the ticket as profit from a bud deal. <laughs> wow, there that you go. Was, yeah, yeah. My friend had set it up so, you know, I was – basically able to do an introduction from one person to another. And for doing it, my friend said, instead of giving you the money, I'm going to mail out your New Year's ticket. And I said, right on. And I, and uh, I got to go to New Year's Eve and I uh, did the whole run mm-hmm. and uh, made some fabulous recordings and um, had a great time. But no, New Year's Eve was special. You were one of my angels. I had Charlie's angels. I can still picture it. I had a, uh, I had like a, it was sort of like a renaissance dress. It was like a red crush velvet off the sleeve renaissance style dress and i had this uh green crown that was really just like some kind of like um like it had streamers on it like those little stars and you know little kind of cellophane crowns. still have oh, the really? crown too i don't have a ton of stuff back in the day um i have the a dress that i wore to the next new year's eve i don't have the red crush, crush velvet dress but i just I just remember it being just the most beautiful night and Kat being the blonde and me being the brunette and we were Charlie and Charlie's angels. And it was just so much fun. And uh, yeah, I just remember just feeling so regal and special, just everything about it. I mean, it was Bill Graham's. It was amazing. It It was was so much fun. Yeah. I have a few things that just stand out in my mind that night. Um, But yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. I remember they hadn't played women are smarter and you know, New Year's Eve, four nights, you had to play. Yeah. You have to stick it in there somewhere because they always did. And I said, at the end of eyes of the world, they said, Oh, they're probably going to do women are smarter than go into dark star because it's New Year's Eve and Branford's there, you know? So, um, the end of eyes of the world, I was walking into the hallway. I'm going to go to the bathroom, get something to drink or whatever it was. And, um, and I'll never forget, as I got, just as I'm getting to the hallway, I heard the opening notes of Dark Star. And it was my first Dark Star and went running back in. Oh, I, re- I remember uh, it was, I mean, I hadn't been seeing shows, obviously, for so long. And, I mean, there was just nothing that was more fun than, than catching that elusive song. I mean, that was just one thing that I loved about the band was that 
And and it's still going on, you know, with the music, how there's that song that they'll they'll pull away and put in retirement for three, five, ten, twelve years. And everybody is just, do you think it's going to be tonight? Do you think it's going to be tonight? And then to just, you know, bring it out. It, it just made you feel so special. Yep. It was, it was definitely fun. So we're going to sign off on Charlie Miller podcast number 54. And then with some drums from New Year's Eve 1990 into 91. And then we will be back with set two coming in with some space. Uh, we got a few more songs. Thanks for listening for now. And. We'll catch you on the on the flip side. Peace.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.